0: That's a terrible call. That is a terrible call. Brown steal. Jalen. Hacking the Blow those candles out. Get the head to Tatum. Tatum the bounce. To the basket.
1: Come on, Rex. Get with the gun. And welcome back to another Celtics pod. I'm your host, Adam Taylor, joined by my good friend and co-host, Brendan Nunes. What's up, Brendan?
0: Not much, man. I am doing good. Uh, That was an entertaining game against the Sacramento Kings. The second one of the season, the final showing between these two teams, uh, knocked off both of those games within a couple weeks stretch of each other. And like we mentioned on the first episode, I cover the Kings. So this was actually a really easy watch for me. I knew... Uh, most of what to expect from both sides. And even with that, can't say I expected 41 points from Buddy Heald.
1: Fun fact, before we go any further, the Celtics are undefeated at home for the season.
0: I did not know that,
1: actually. It was mentioned by Tommy during the fourth that they were one of only four teams remaining that were undefeated at home. They won the game. They continued their undefeated at home streak.
0: Huh, okay, that makes sense because yeah, the first loss was in uh, Philadelphia, they won all those games in a row, and then they went on the road trip. It's the TD Garden, baby. But I guess yeah, so. I mean, so Buddy
1: was a uh, we just spoke about this. It's not so much that Buddy goes off against us, it's that Boston seemed to be allowing him wide open shots, both lanes to the basket and from deep.
0: Yeah, I mean. So the Celtics were switching everything except the big, right? And I guess, I guess it's notable to mention, obviously, there was no Tice in this game, um, along with the other injuries we know of, Kimball Walker, Gordon Hayward. Um, so Cantor and Semi Ojale got the start. Can't say who we expected Shemi to go there. Uh, I think we mentioned it as a possibility. But, yeah, the uh, the communication on defense was missing a little bit. You could hear Brad screaming, to stay high on the um, the drop coverages with Cantor and Robert Williams, who pretty much got in even about a minute splitting that center spot with no Tice there. Um, they were not the most successful with that. They both have their flaws defensively. Um, and, and yeah, they got lost on the switches a little bit sometimes. I thought Jalen was guilty of that a good amount, um, which he tends to have that issue at times. But, yeah, I mean, it was kind of unexcusable with these wide-open looks that Buddy was getting. He had one look towards the end of, uh, I don't remember if it was actually the third or the fourth, but it had just gotten tipped out of balance, and there was less than a second on the shot clock. It was guaranteed to be a catch-and-shoot, and Buddy Heald gets wide open after he was already on fire. It was It was really bad defense, and there was one guy torching the Celtics, and they couldn't stop him.
1: And it's crazy, right? Because we've been one of the better defensive teams to start the year. It just seems to be that we really struggle with guards that can shoot and drive. It seems to be like the kryptonite towards this team. It happened to us all last year. Usually it was a rotational guard, which was worse. Uh, Mainly because it just seemed, last year it was which random guard is going to light us up. This year it just seems to be if you can shoot the three and you can
0: drive and pass, you're causing this defense all sorts of problems. Yeah, Bradley Beal did it to the Celtics for sure. And actually, I want to give credit to Harrison Barnes. He went on his own uh, 8-0 run at one point and really was doing a lot for the Kings when they got their biggest lead of the game of 11. Um, And then Jalen came in in place of Tatum, and they really were staggering those two guys. And uh, that lineup gave them a nice little 15-2 run in the second quarter to bring it close. And then it was a close game really for, uh, for the rest of this showing. But, yeah, again, when you get to the fourth quarter down the stretch there, Buddy Heel would just open look after open look. Jared West Weiss, Weiss had a great piece uh, breaking down some of the schemes from the fourth quarter of that game and the Celtics' responses to uh, the sets that the Kings were running as well that uh, I, I thought really explained what happened pretty well here.
1: I mean, when you talk about the staggering that was going on, uh, we'll get to the article from Jared in a moment. What I, When I was looking at the actual rotations earlier on Popcorn Machine, if any of you guys want to know what that is, go to popcornmachine.net and you can see the game flow, who was in for what minutes and what help value they had, how many points they scored. It's a good little tool. It looked like they both, well, they both started the game, obviously. They both went off the court at similar times, and that's when it changed. In the second, they started with Jason. They were rolling with Jason for a while. They brought Bran back in, and they spent a brief amount of time on the court together before Jason sat. They rotated again when Bran came out. They brought Tatum back in. Started both of them together in the third. Ended the third with Tatuman. Started the fourth with Tatumon and then continued that stagger until crunch time when obviously the best players see the floor.
0: Right. And um, I guess we should mention Tremont Waters here as well. You know, I think he was um, a part of Sacramento getting their lead at a time uh, because there was a short bit where Tremont was also next to Carson Edwards, and two under six foot guys is never going to go good for you defensively. But Carson got checked out pretty quick after Tremont made uh, his showing. And, man, I loved what I saw from Tremont Waters. I texted jokingly after the game saying Tremont Waters is now my favorite Celtic. But um, seven points, uh, three assists, a steal, a game high, two blocks. What? Uh, A Celtic high. Sorry, two blocks, which was hilarious. You pointed out I don't even remember those happening and a plus 20 as well in his minutes out there. Plus minus in a single game is a very broken stat um, and not all credited to uh, that one player necessarily. He also was just partially on at the right time of games when Buddy Heald was out for the Kings. But Tremont played a great game, and I thought his passing really impressed me. And with the Celtics switching everything, I don't think he was getting abused on defense.
1: Not at all. I mean, his pesky is at the best of times we spoke about this last time, it's been quite a well covered topic during the summer league as well. He he can ball, straight up ball, dude. He's he's got a very good nice intensity about him on D. He's not as when like when we had Isaiah, he was you know, he knew he was he needed to be hidden on the floor during defense. He still gave a good effort. It feels like Waters actually wants to be on that man. He wants to be the guy Guarding the ball handler, he he's not afraid to, he's not afraid to make a mistake. He's not afraid to put his body on the line. He's kind of like a miniature Marcus Smart in terms of just his intensity off the ball. On the ball, he was great. He to me felt like he was doing the stuff that we've been hoping we could see from Edwards. And right. at the moment, he feels like he's actually the more polished of the two.
0: Yeah, you know, it's one game, so there's only so much that I stock I want to put into this, but he has shown out in G League as well, you know, and the shot wasn't really falling for Tremont. He was one of five from three. He took a step back at one point that uh that kind of has been one of, it's been in his arsenal in the G League a little bit. We mentioned it before that in the G League on a pretty high volume, he's been shooting 40% from deep. The shot uh looked good, but it wasn't falling. So, I think he has a lot of promise as an offensive player in this league as a backup point guard. But right now, I mean, when Kemba comes back, I don't know how that works with Wanamaker as well. And Wanamaker, by the way, after playing some amazing basketball for a nice stretch there, really struggled against Sacramento. He was 0-8 from the field. Uh, He got to the free throw line like he's been doing and knocked down three of four of them. Um, the assists were all right, you know, and he doesn't turn the ball over crazily, but four fouls for him as well. It felt like, uh, Wanamaker coming back down to earth a little bit, and also with him running that second unit a bit at times, it almost felt like his confidence, um, you want guys to have high confidence, obviously, but, um, a little bit of shots that were out of character for Wanamaker, maybe because he has been playing at such a high level recently, getting, getting deserved praise. Well, when you mention you're not sure how it's going to
1: work with, with Waters once Kemba's back, you you expect him to go back to the G League. He only gets so many days up with the NBA team, uh, in this case. The 45, Southers, right? 45 days, yep. Yeah. And that's uh, once the – I'm pretty sure – I'm going to have to double-check this, so I'll tweet out the confirmation tomorrow. But I'm fairly sure that the two-way players are not eligible in the playoffs. They are not. No, so I don't know. So he only gets those forty-five days. He's burning them at the moment. You can expect him to be kept as an insurance policy. I would, I would say now, being able to come up and deputize the way he did yesterday against Sacramento, the way he's probably going to have to do again against Brooklyn, he's. You're not going to want to waste any of those days because if Wanamaker gets hurt or Carson Edwards, it's a long season. People pick up little injuries. Having somebody like him that you can call upon and get some solid production out of is going to be invaluable, especially once we're playing for seeding later in the year.
0: Definitely, um, it's a great insurance option, like you said. I mean, I-, I mentioned that I like him as a backup point guard at a point in this league, but the position that he's at right now, I think he's ideal as a uh, as a third as a third string guy. Um, Wannamaker. Could be off the team, and he's not a long term option. Um, I mean, off the team down the line, and you know, Tremont could possibly step into that role. It is also notable that like the the bench of Sacramento was bad, same as as Boston's bench, uh, talent wise. Like he was going up against Yogi Farrell, which is a very kind matchup for uh, for a little Tremont Waters there, especially so, in the first game in the league, right. Yeah, it's um Yogi, you know, size-wise, obviously, they're comparable there. So I thought that was good for him. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, overall, like I said, I liked what I saw from him. And back to kind of Celtics in general, this is another game where they really struggled to shoot the ball. You know, 7 of 30 from 3. And, again, if you go back to the start of this road trip, Um, and actually we will leave out the golden state game. They played well there. So the last five games for Boston, they've shot 41% from the field and 27% from three. Um, I think a lack of creation is hurting them here. Um, obviously with Gordon and Kemba going down recently as well. Um, yeah, you just, I mean, shots are eventually going to start to fall. Don't get me wrong, but. It is a little worrisome to see that happening pretty regularly these last couple of games.
1: I mean, luckily they're still coming, finding ways to win. Obviously, they haven't won every game during this stretch of poor shooting, but they've, they're have they coming away in close games, finding a way to win. So at the moment, it's looking like eventually, that's, like you say, shots are going to start to fall. The problem we've got at the moment is when will they start to fall? Because we're lucky that... The the Kings and the Nets are both, at the moment, injured themselves. There was no De'Aaron Fox, no Marvin Bagley. We're going up against a team tomorrow where there's no Kyrie Irving, there's possibly no De'Andre Jordan. No Karis no, LeVert. Yeah, no Karis LeVert. Nobody was expecting Durant to be healthy at this point. Once we start coming against teams that are fully healthy and we play like this, that's where problems start to occur. Hopefully Kemba's back by then. Gordon's already shooting. But then you've got to work those guys back into the rotation more so with Gordon than with Kemba.
0: Right. And I think that Gordon, I mean, the team's just missing him so much. Like the way that he's going to be able to run that second unit and run the offense even when the main guys are out there. I think that Gordon is, they're really feeling his absence. Um, but yeah, that, that was most of the points I had on that Sacramento game. Is there anything else you wanted to throw in there? It really was just sloppy. I think Brad had a quote on. Um, and this isn't this isn't direct. I don't have it in front of me. This is me paraphrasing that uh, they played like a young team. You could really sh- see the age that they had out there. And like we mentioned, with no no Kemba, no Hayward, uh, no Tice, who is only a is it, this is third year now, right? Yeah, this is Tice's third year, right? But he plays like a veteran. He's a smart player, you know. So when you're out there with Jason Tatum, who uh, these guys are a little bit older, but still young in regards to their basketball IQ at times. Tatum, Brown, Ojale, uh, Robert Williams, Wanamaker, Edwards, Waters, all these guys getting a lot of run. You're bound to make some of these mistakes. And I think Brad kind of pointed that out. They played like the age of the guys they put out there.
1: I agree. I mean, Keith Smith actually put a tweet out during the game, which was very similar, basically saying, this team is... The product of all those draft picks we had, this was the majority of this team, barring Kemba, barring Kanter as well, but the majority of the entire lineup was all homegrown talent, all talent we've acquired through the draft process. A lot of them we acquired thanks to the Brooklyn Nets. But, <laughs> <laughs> right. but this is the way it was working at the moment. We are a young team. There's guys coming up from the G League. They got drafted this year or the previous year. They're still finding their feet. And then we've been quite fortunate that we've got four really good players in the starting lineup. Now we've got two and we're starting to feel the pinch of the, the lack of experience on the rest of the roster. And I feel like that's why we're having some problems with the shot creation and the, the ball movement now because we don't have those NBA level experienced guys, you know, them true vets that can come in and just keep calm down, slow the pace work your plays, make sure everybody's where they need to be. Now we've just got a bunch of young guys that can run.
0: Right. And yeah, like you said, the important thing is that they came out with the W here. You know, all of those stats um, obviously matter for long term and you you start to notice some trends. But the one number that is really going to make an impact is getting another tick in the win column. And that happened for the Celtics and um, another team that, has been doing that successfully recently. Um, after starting the year four and seven with a healthy Kyrie Irving, the Brooklyn Nets are now five and one in their last six games where Kyrie has not been available for every single one of them. Um, and it's very notable who they've played. They played in Chicago, and which that team has been struggling. Indiana is a decent team. They've they've come around after a slow start. Indiana at home for Brooklyn, Charlotte at home, Sacramento at home, and then in New York and in Cleveland. So they're winning the games. You're supposed to. You can't take anything away from them with that, similarly to how the Celtics were at the beginning of the year. But this also isn't some insanely impressive stretch. There's no Kyrie Irving. Um, As we mentioned, he's out with an injury. Um, Do you have what the injury is in front of you, actually? I will do in like two seconds. All right, Um, and then, yeah, Dinwiddie just got player of the week for this team as well, Um, and his numbers were really interesting to me. Um, This was my first time kind of taking a peek at these over this stretch, and he's been playing 33 minutes. He's their starting point, obviously, with no Kyrie there, a great backup for a team to have, but nearly 25 points and six and a half assists, a steal and a block. But these shooting splits, 43% from the field, it's all right, but not like what you would quite expect from a player of the week. And 27% from three. Um, but 93% from the line on...
1: 27% eight. from three?
0: Yeah, while well, he was player of the week. And
1: only 43%. <coughs> um, were people Excuse watching me. the games? Were the people who decided he was going to be player of the week watching the games? It's a fair question. I mean, twenty-seven percent from three. Uh, just so we know as well, uh, Kyrie's out with a right shoulder impingement, as per John Corrales. Got
0: it. Yeah, and forty-three uh, percent from the field. You know, said it a couple times. Not great. Not what you expect from a player of the week. But it's this ninety-three percent from the free throw line with eight attempts a game over these six games. So Sublett's so got to be really careful not to foul. Looking at you, Robert Williams, um, and Jalen Brown. Um, but yeah, the other guy for Brooklyn recently has definitely been Jared Allen. Uh, during this same stretch, he's averaging 15 and a half points about and nearly 13 rebounds, a steal and a block, 75% from the field. His Some of his recent games during this stretch, though, some of the notable ones 22 and 17, one game, 18 and 10, another. Most recently against Cleveland. 22 points and 21 rebounds. Like Jerry Allen has been balling. We spoke about him during the summer. Dude's dudes a beast. He is. And, you know, I think that this can kind of be a transition into what we're going to talk about in our second segment here. We're going to be comparing and talking through the center options that the Celtics have um, on their roster. What center do you feel like is best equipped to? To kind of go toe to toe with Jared Allen?
1: Honestly, I feel like it's going to be Rob Williams just because of the athleticism.
0: I kind of see it. Um, I also feel like Rob could get screwed on offense uh, trying to go against Jared Allen, who is just a beast of a rim protector, kind of what we hope Rob to be. Jared Allen is very fundamental there. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> It's not like Allen is a guy that's really posting you up. you know. I, I guess on rare occasions, they will attempt that, and he has great coordination to him and a nice touch around the rim, but he's not like a go-to offensive player. So it's really like, to me, who can best guard a pick and roll. And I think that's probably Tice. Like, I think Tice is probably just the best option always.
1: Oh, for sure. Tice is just, yeah, but my issue is he, he just missed this game through a mystery sickness. Do right. you really want to bring him back and put, give him starting minutes and that task of guarding somebody like Jarrett Allen
0: now? If he's healthy, I want him. I, I have loved Tice this year. After a little bit of a uh, – it took me a little while to come around. I thought he was a little questionable to start, but he has really came around and to me is, is the guy that should be the center uh, for this team moving forward, Clearly. But it, yeah, I mean, is there anything else you want to throw on this Brooklyn game here before maybe we decide to get into this whole center talk? Personally,
1: I feel like it's a winnable game. We're very, well, we're much deeper than they are at the moment. They've got a lot more injuries than we do. I'm not sure where we stand with Kemba. Or personally, I'd rather him sit until he feels 100% comfortable getting back on the floor. Definitely. I, think, I feel like we've got more rotational options than them at the moment. Really, all we're worrying about with them is Dinwiddie with and Jarrett Allen.
0: Yeah, and they got some shooters. You know, like I, I think that Joe Harris and Garrett Temple, like they can knock down the three ball. So I think that your switching oh, sure. needs to be a little more crisp again. But yeah, there's not like that that elite. Wing really and Dinwiddie not shooting the ball great doesn't really fit that profile you kind of mentioned that's been killing the. Celtics the thing recently. is they could
1: say the same about us. You know, two of our best players are injured. They they Definitely. only need to worry about Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Definitely, thing, it's it's going to be a tough game. It's going to be a scrappy game, young team again. I feel like Cantor can do a job too. The, um, I've got some stats for you after this break. Um, I actually looked into some uh, the best lineup involving Cantor and what that's been producing. Huh.
0: Okay. So, yeah, and I think Cantor and uh, DeAndre Jordan if he's healthy would be an interesting rebounding battle <laughs> that'll be a fun one to watch right yeah
1: that'll be interesting for sure Cantor's actually not been too bad the last few games to be fair I mean his defense isn't great we know what we're getting there I've looked into that a little bit I'll touch on that again after the break right So,
0: yeah. but yeah this could be another chance for Tremont Waters too um, I I don't even know like what there's no clear backup point guard on this Brooklyn team with Kyrie out and Dinwiddie moving into the starting lineup. Um, kind of just do it by committee in a way. And also no Levert, obviously, who is a big uh, playmaker and likes the ball in his hands for them. So, yeah, I think, I think Tremont could have a nice opportunity here for him again.
1: I've kind of convinced myself he's going to play.
0: I think so. I think, uh, yeah, Brad had a quote that he's not going to be shy in playing him either, so. I found a little stat-
1: statistic, just a tiny little bit of Kyrie bashing, a tiny little bit, and then we'll oh go God. to break. <laughs> it was just a small piece. So these are statistics of teams without Kyrie Irving since the 18-19 season. Nope, since the 17-18 season, the dude wrote it wrong. So 2017-18, to 18, the Celtics went without, was without Kyrie for 15 games. They went 1-12, lost three in that stretch during 18 to 19 they went 16 games without Kyrie they were 12 and 4 in that stretch the nets have gone six games so far without Kyrie they're 5 and 1 in that stretch out of a total of 37 games over the last 3 years Kyrie's teams have
0: actually gone 29 and 8 without him on the floor that's pretty funny to be fair like the rosters have been really nice around Kyrie like lebron and the celtics rosters from before you know um, I'm just I'm just tiny little bit of Kyrie
1: bashing, but right. it's, it's Got to have. I mean, <laughs> I, <laughs> but it's true. It seems to be that to me, he's more of a complementary piece than he is your number one option in terms of the. If you've only got one star on your team, which at the moment they do, they're waiting for Durant to come back. If you can only have one star on your team, Kyrie shouldn't be that guy. <sighs>
0: Yeah, I, unless like you have a clear leader next to him, but even then like the star is the leader even if exactly even if someone else is maybe exactly. more vocal like yeah, to me I mean Kyrie Irving is a better player than Kemba Walker. I I love Kemba, but Kyrie is like you know, you think of the last 2 minutes of a game. Kyrie Irving's getting whatever he wants. He's oh,
1: one of the most clutch players in the league, dude. I'm yeah, not, he's
0: insane. Like I'm he can get delusion, whatever he wants all the time. Yeah, right. I get you. I I understand what you're saying. I'm just uh, he's Robin. Yeah. Say it again. He's Robin.
1: He's not Batman.
0: Yeah, I yeah, and in and, and especially you know the leadership and we've seen all the the crazy amount of articles about how this team's loving playing together. Just, Smart seems like he learned a lot from last year and is really worrying about this team's chemistry, taking them to the movies. And uh, like these escape rooms and things like that. So the yeah, chemistry escape rooms are hella
1: fun, dude. Have you done Oh my God. Room? I agree. I like it. We'll do it. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll be out in LA um, tomorrow. I'll just fly tomorrow. Tomorrow. All room. right. <laughs> Let's do it. You're picking me up from LAX. Right guys, we're going to take a break while apparently I'll find flights to LAX for tomorrow. <laughs> uh don't know how that's going to go with Thanksgiving coming up. We'll be back once I've, basically broke myself to come and do an escape room and then we'll talk about the centers we've got on the team i know brendan and i've both done research but neither of us know the information that the other person has so it's going to be good to see what we found if we agree with each of us takes and then obviously we want to hear from you guys after this episode airs to see what you think about what we found too so we'll be back in a moment And we're back. Brendan, I'm not coming, dude. They're too expensive.
0: Yeah, I don't blame you, man. Maybe, yeah, we'll we'll figure out some other time. You just come here, dude. Yeah, that's, sure, sure. I'll just tell my family, you know what? I can't make it for Thanksgiving. I don't like turkey anyways. I don't get it. My wife's and always described it as
1: chicken with eczema. Turkey. <laughs>
0: <laughs> See, she knew <laughs> Yeah, today in, in one of my classes Somebody was like, A turkey's literally just discount chicken Yeah, I, I definitely feel it Chicken with eczema, best way of describing it Anyway, back
1: to basketball related You know uh, you know how
0: I relate this right now? Daniel Tice is chicken and Time Lord is turkey
1: I thought you were just going to go straight political But well, I like that no. <laughs> <laughs> You you opted you for the smarter choice yeah, no I'm saying Time Lord that. is Turkey. Uh so let's start with Time Lord actually. Time Lord's the the guy that I feel like has the biggest upside on on the big out of the bigs on the roster at the moment. Obviously he's younger, he's more athletic than the other
0: guys that we've got. What have you found from Time Lord, Brendan? First, most surprising thing, and somewhat makes obviously makes sense with Time Lord, he's second in the entire NBA in effective field goal percentage. Of guys that have at least 10 minutes per game. So, you know, people that actually play. Second in the entire NBA in effective field goal percentage, 75.7%. And he's 81% at the rim. Obviously, That's because this is because, a dunk. Right. Right. Everything's a dunk. Um, but, you know, it's good that he stays within his wheelhouse.
1: Did you know he's in the 99th percentile for points per shot attempt as well?
0: I did not but that so makes sense
1: He's averaging well if you were to give him 100, 100 shots 100 possessions 146.3 points he would he's projected to score per
0: 100 possessions. Okay. Yeah and the Celtics offense with with Robert Williams on was actually the best out of these three bigs. Um and you know that can be for various reasons that he's Running against uh, not great second units, and a good amount of his minutes were coming alongside Gordon Hayward when he was there as well. And uh, Rob seems to get some run with the with the uh, the main group as well as sort of the first sub in for Tice, while Cantor can really run with a full second unit. Um, But yeah, Robert Williams again, the points per hundred possessions, the Celtics total with him on the floor, one hundred and seventeen. That is the 97th percentile with a 55 effective field goal percentage. Um, again, in the top, it's, that's the 86th percentile. Um, the one struggle for the Celtics on offense—they don't offensive rebound with uh, Robert Williams out there. He's not a player that really does that. 19th percentile of offensive rebounding percentage with with Robert Williams out there. And you know, actually, we should, we, well, should we should mention real quick that these are cleaning the glass, um, so it, it does have a garbage time filter. Um, I don't know. There's not been many garbage time minutes for the Celtics, but just to throw that out there.
1: This one's from Synergy. I like Synergy. What he does do well is he closes out on jump shooters very, very well. Like, he changes their shots ridiculously.
0: Man's out there blocking threes.
1: Dude, when he's closing out on jump shooters, he's holding them to 30% from the field overall.
0: Wow, yeah, that that's definitely something that Rob... Uh, if it's just closing out, you know, like, cause he'll bite on some pumps and get blown past and be a little greedy with these closeouts, but just pure closeouts when the guy is going to shoot, Rob has an impact.
1: Yeah. So the way synergy works, it is it has it as defending jump shooters and then it has its own little stat underneath of closeouts. So yep, closing out and he's holding jump shooters to like thirty-two percent, but with his closeouts, he's really altering those shots and they're struggling to to get the shot off they're worried about him just swatting it into they're their swatting he's going to swat him to hell that's what he's going to do right one is he's got here's, I felt like for every player that I've researched I need to find one point that they need to improve on just so we're not seeing. you know so we're not just giving out fantastic stats we've got to look at what they need to work on too the one I've got at the moment is he needs to when he's guarding the pick and roll and he's guarding the ball handler he's allowing 64 points off 50 possessions So what this is happening is it's 1.4... I'm what? Hello? Oh, damn. It's 1.4 points possession when they roll to the rim. So what's happening is they're just blowing by him. He's either biting on pump fakes or he's screwing up the rotation. He's trying... or Sometimes it feels like he lets a man beat him just so he can chase down the block.
0: Right. He's great at recovering, but in regards to actually staying in front of people, um, he is terrible like I, I think he has great hands which has really surprised me and that includes the blocks but also uh his steals as well definitely come as a surprise you know um and I think that uh yeah interestingly Robert Williams averages the most steals uh out of all these guys but yeah in, in a pick and roll he is good as getting his hands down low in the passing lane and really interrupting some of those but He doesn't. He doesn't move move laterally laterally well. He doesn't move. uh, He doesn't backpedal quickly or anything like that. Um, Yeah, the opposing offense definitely is able to take advantage of Robert Williams. Fifty three effective field goal percentage, thirty second percentile, and um, the one thirteen points for hundred possessions, and that is the twenty second percentile. It definitely has been rough there. But again, to back up my um, my point of Robert Williams uh, applying pressure and getting some steals Celtics are in the 92nd percentile of opponent turnovers with Rob on so that's, that's the one positive that I've seen from his defense
1: he's a uh, yeah I mean look he can steal he can block did you cover his blocking stats
0: I did not actually which definitely should get mentioned here I
1: mean that's what he's known for right it's true so that he's blocking 4.3 shot attempts, 4.3% of per 100 shots. So for every 100 shots, he's going to block 4.
0: Yeah, um, 7.6 7. block percentage, highest out of this group of three. Actually, he's fairly close to Tice, though. Tice has been a beast in that regard, too. Where did you get him at 7.6? Yes, that's, uh, yeah, that is what I have here.
1: I got him at 4.3. Oh, I've got it off Synergy, where he's challenging the... Sorry, that's my bad. So he's in the ninety four percent off of blocks when he's challenging people driving the lane. Got it. So he's blocking 4.3% of the attempts when people drive.
0: Right, and... Uh, uh, you see
1: how different the stats can be when you're looking at
0: <coughs> I know. And uh, the different, uh, you know, in regards to opponent percentage at the rim, I, I definitely took note of all these guys. And Robert Williams allows 68% at the opponent's uh, field goal percentage at the rim this is the sixth percentile. That is terrible, and not what uh, Robert Williams, who's supposed to be this rim protector and just force down low, should be doing.
1: I feel like he's gonna um, he's gonna learn these things. Though it's definitely gonna be a hard learning curve. He's gonna he's gonna have these struggles. He's
0: already shown huge improvement. Right. He's 22. The other two guys on this list, Cantor and Tyser, 27. I agree with you. He has the highest upside. Um, and right now, you just kind of need to to play him through it a little bit. I think he's had more positives than he's had uh, last year. But there definitely is still a lot of work that needs to be done on the defensive end. But some positives that have come on on the offensive side. So moving on. You okay if we go to Tice here? Yeah, man, I'm down for Mr. Tice. All right, he seems like the guy for this team. You know, um, I I think his defense has just been outstanding. Like, his offense has left – it hasn't been great, but you don't need it to be when you have four amazing offensive players that, when the Celtics are healthy, are going to be around him. You know, Kemba Walker, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Gordon Hayward – um, all you need is a guy to effectively play his role on offense that maybe they can play make through a little bit, set some nice screens. I think Tice does that well, but the defense has been amazing. Uh, we mentioned this point per hundred possessions, right? For opponents, we said it was 113 for Rob, it's 96 for Tice. That's the 99th percentile. He has been absolutely elite there. Um, the Celtics have when Tice has been on the floor and same with opponent effective field goal percentage 47%. That's a 97th percentile. He's forcing turnovers when the Celtics are forcing turnovers when Tice is on the floor, not quite as great as when Robert Williams is on the floor, but they still are up there in the 83rd percentile. And the big difference was the opponent rim field goal percentage, field goal percentage at the rim. We mentioned for Robert Williams, it's, 68% 68% is 515 for Daniel Tice. Again, 97th percentile. He has been amazing there. He's been a beast all over defense, dude. He's probably
1: one of our better defenders. Obviously, he doesn't get the best defender mark because that goes to Mr. Marcus Smart. He's also been containing the ball handlers in the pick and roll. He's been utilizing drops quite a lot, which is fine because he's holding them to 26 to 74 from the field. Which is so he's holding ball handlers when they're coming off a screen and driving towards the lane to just thirty five point six percent. That I mean I'm down with that dude. When he does go over, he's going over screens as well. So he's trying. He does read the play really well. He's not just seeing the a pick and roll happen and just going straight to drop coverage. He he's read the scouting report. He knows who's going to drive. He knows who's going to pull up and chuck one up. When he knows that a guy's going to pull up. He's going over the screens fifty five percent at a time still holding still holding people down to a decent percentage i didn't pull up i did pull the percentage i didn't write it down but he was definitely holding them to under forty percent from there too and then with the, another one I like is the Celtics of eleven point five points per
0: one hundred possessions worse when he's off the floor yeah that that's insane um they really benefit from having him on there obviously um he's clearly i think he's probably the only plus defender on this team um i i wouldn't put robert williams there yet even though like i said that's supposed to kind of be what what he is as a player um it'll come around a little bit but yeah the the, the defense with tice like tice Can switch sometimes onto smaller guards. I'm definitely the most comfortable with Tice compared to any of these other ones, uh, being Williams and Cantor, um, who aren't great competition in that regard. But Tice, like you, can be somewhat comfortable with. And the Celtics have been blitzing guys often, especially during that road trip that they didn't do with Buddy Heald last night. Um, But Tice is great at doing that and still recovering in time. He moves great uh, for his size. He, he, to me, definitely is the clear best defensive guy out there, and his individual offensive numbers haven't been great, with only like a 48 effective field goal percentage, 60% at the rim is a little rough in that 27th percentile, but you don't need anything from him on offense. Kind of like I said, uh, if you need some sort of offensive threat, you know, if you need um some vertical spacing, a guy that can play above the rim. You can throw Robert Williams out there. If you want an offensive rebounder that can play back to the basket a little bit, you can throw Ennis Cantor. So I'm not worried about the offensive numbers for Tice. And honestly, actually uh, the team's offensive numbers overall were not great with him out there, but we know that the starts for Celtics have not been great and that's going towards that. Um, But they don't turn it over often with Tice out there. We know the starting unit has been, great about not turning the ball over and the celtics in general have been great at that so he doesn't bring you much of anything on offense but he also doesn't um like he's not a liability on that end and what he brings on the defensive end is so positive He he's just clearly the best option here he was one of the best defenders in europe before we came over right and the three point shot like this year, you know, he had mentioned that he wanted to double his attempts and keep the same percentage from last year. Last year, he shot 38% from three. Um, you can't expect that from him, really. Uh, but it was only a one attempt a game. He really, he wanted to get to two and keep that 38, almost 39%. Uh, he's not shooting him really this year. You know, he's 16% this year, which, obviously is uh far from ideal on only 12 attempts he's two of twelve um, small sample size it'll start to pick up but he is he's somewhat respected out there
1: so I mean I respect him don't you uh, he's one of he's one of the more consistent guys we've got you know what you're getting from him every night I mean the numbers I pulled up from him it was actually quite difficult for me to find anything negative. I mean, his impact on the team at the moment. Sure, his three point shooting is a problem. Coming into the year, myself and you discussed he might actually be the only big that could actually stretch the floor for us. Not that he's ever been a great three point shooter, but at least he doesn't, he's got the confidence to take those shots. Um, I'm not actually worried about running the rest of the year with Tyce at the starting center position.
0: Neither am I. You know, like there's this whole, it's so popular for people to say that the Celtics just need a trade for a uh, center and then they're serious. I think Keith Smith tweeted it and worded it pretty well. Uh, Daniel Tice is that center that everyone is saying the Celtics need.
1: Without a doubt, he's doing everything. People were like, oh, you need someone that can rebound, someone that can run the floor, somebody that can hitch three-point shots when available. I mean, 16.7% from deep isn't getting it done at the moment. But he's career in the NBA up until this point. He was, what was it, a 32% three-point shooter?
0: He's capable. It'll start yeah. to fall.
1: He can hit one in three, roughly. Uh, he'll get that average backup eventually, I'm sure. He is exactly what everybody's been asking for, and he's on a really manageable contract. I don't see the need to have to move anybody
0: as things currently stand. Right. You know, the issue starts to come with like Joel Embiid per se, but like, I mean, can you really get someone on the market that's going to stop Joel Embiid? Like how many players really can, you know? Who are you going to get without,
1: we're not going to get into a massive trade discussion here, guys, because that's just not what we do uh, regularly anyway. But who are you going to get that can stop a Joel Embiid? a Towns, or even somebody like when they're hot and people are going to laugh at me. I watched a, well, no, I'm not even going to say, or a Jokic. Who, who,
0: oh, who come was, on, just say Tunis, How did you know? Come on. Yeah, I'm
1: hot on <laughs> Valanchunas, dude. I watched him play against Jokic the other day. He held his own. He's done well. He's added a three-point
0: shot to his game. Right. I thought it like like Drummond and Aldridge, you know, some like of these more... Dominant bigs with sort of like an asterisk on dominant because some of those might not qualify that way. Obviously, beads on his own level. I mean, like,
1: Drummond. Drummond's a liability on defense, dude.
0: Right, and yeah, like we're, trade- I, we're I, trading. We're basically trading
1: for a a stronger version of Cantor at that point.
0: Right. Uh yeah, I'm I'm definitely not mentioning trading for these guys, but when you're up against them, you know, and I just don't I, I don't see it as all too much of an issue. Um okay. I, I think that yeah, I mean Cantor's Cantor's I mean, Daniel Tice is a great option here. You mentioned a great contract as well. Five million this year, five million non guaranteed next year. So let's have a little bit of time with this guy that you can work Time Lord into hopefully uh, learning some of the smarts that Tice has on defense, because it's not like he has this insane athletic capability like Robert Williams does, who's just insanely gifted. Um, Daniel Tice is fundamental, and Robert Williams can learn from that. He learned from Al Horford. Horford has mentioned that he thought Robert Williams was going to be a problem in the league at some point. DeAndre Jordan was rough at first, who obviously he gets compared to going to the same college and all that but I, I wanted to ask you is do you feel like there's something that Robert Williams is better than Tysat? passing oh, that's a good one. you know, I thought of uh playing above the rim and just finishing, but that passing that's a good one that's a really good call yeah I mean
1: when 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 you just asked me that the initial thought that went straight from my head was there was um. And here's me plugging the site, guys. There was a really good article that went up uh, two days ago on Celtic's blog that was literally just breaking down Tice's evolution as a as a passer. And then it got me to thinking, because we were just playing the Nuggets at the time, and obviously Jokic is one these, probably the best passing big man. It got me to thinking, like, who would be the best passing big on the team? And without a doubt, it's definitely, definitely Rob Williams. You saw Cantor try and get fancy in one of the opening possessions last night with that hook pass. Uh, <laughs> Zach, do you know the one I mean? Oh god, uh, yeah. yeah. It was a it was a nice idea, but he just doesn't have the uh, the passing ability to pull that off. Right, Robert Williams probably could have made that happen, but he wouldn't go for such a flashy pass. He's split
0: defenses time and time again this year with smart yeah. passing. It's hitting backdoor cutters a lot, like when he's at the elbow, and, and a little bit of numbers to kind of back it up. Robert Williams' assist percentage is 14. Uh, both of the other guys have not broke 10%. Um, yeah, Robert Williams, that is that is a very good call on that one. Um, well, what did when you, you have above the rim?
1: Yeah, I had his right finishing. Movie. Very good movie.
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I had his finishing. Uh, I Like I mentioned, he's second in effective field goal percentage in the entire NBA of people that, that actually play. Um, yeah. So when do you feel like you would play each of these guys? Um, my answer to that is I feel like you just play Tice with the starting guys as much as possible as the biggest complimentary piece. And then whenever Tice isn't available to do that, you put Robert Williams there. Like I think he's just sort of a worse Tice option um to give tice a break in regards to the role that i want them to play i mean look man the way i look at it at the minute
1: is Tyson. tice sorry robert williams is on a crash course in learning he's kind of got redshirted last year and um, he's getting the reps he's getting the minutes he's learning the systems on the fly he's learning how to deal with nba level um offense nba level defense so i want him playing a backup role as much as possible until he gets to a point where he earns that starting spot from Tyce, we know that Brad Stevens is a guy that if you deserve it, you'll get it. so I want Tyce to run the run the first unit, and I want to see Rob Williams just continue to grow, continue to learn, get those minutes under your belt. If at any point he stops getting minutes, then send him down to Maine. He needs to keep a momentum going now of getting that experience under his belt and learning as much as he can. Just about how his body works, how his own body mechanics work, learning not to bite on the pump fakes as much, and not to and not to just try and block every damn thing that goes in the air. If he can do that in the next year or two, he's going to be a serious threat.
0: Right, just altering instead of swatting it. You know, um, I, I think that's definitely something that he can learn. And the reason I said I like him along with the other starting guys, rather than completely running a second unit is because I feel like that's where Cantor fits in. Um, and we can move to him a little bit here. Um, can, I obviously- can I do this one now that I got
1: for him with the second unit and which unit he runs best with? I've been dying to drop this one, Brandon. Yeah, is it Cantor? Yeah, it's Cantor. Let's hear it. Okay, so the the lineup that's actually the most efficient with Cantor on the floor is Wanamaker, Smart, Tatum, Grant Williams, and Cantor together. So they've played... Duh, 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 21 possessions so far, so it's a very small sample size. But you know what it's like when you're talking ro- lineups and rotations. Sample sizes grow slowly. Right. Uh, they're averaging 138.1 points per game. Whew. They're, they're, uh, points per possession, sorry. Um, they're pulling down 36.4% total of offensive rebounds available. The only downside is they give up 30% of offensive reba- rebounds on D when that unit's on the floor yeah but yeah that's
0: put, definitely a canter thing,
1: yep yeah, they're putting up numbers they're putting up decent decent numbers hundred and thirty five hundred and thirty eight point one per hundred possessions
0: I mean that's no joke, that's no joke, no and joke? just in general with uh with Cantor on the floor, all lineups Celtics are about one fourteen points per hundred possessions uh which is pretty up there you know eighty fifth percentile so you can't jump right and that is exactly, that type of lineup is a full, pretty much, I mean, the Celtics stagger a lot. You're going to have, because Marcus is really a second unit guy, Um and Tatum being the one really running that second unit, that's the type of lineup that I love for when you're going against opposing teams' benches. I, I think that that's when you can get away with not having a great rim protector, um, which, by the way, this opponent... uh Percentage at the rim. Cantor is in the very last percentile. Seven. We mentioned, so Tice, 51.5%, right? Opponent uh, percentage at the rim. Great. 97th percentile. Robert Williams, 68% at the rim for opponent field goal percentage. The 6th percentile, terrible. 75.5% for opposing field goal percentage at the rim with Cantor on the floor. Zero. The very last percentile. I don't even know what adjective to use to describe that, but it, it's... Catastrophic. It, it's, yeah, that's fine. It, it's horrific.
1: <laughs> I'm the like, one. You made me snort, dude. The he's one. terrible there. He's terrible. He's but bad. that's why,
0: to me, you, know, you run him in the second unit. You can use his offense at that point, and the defense doesn't hurt you as bad. I mean, dude, when he was in Portland last year, he was utilizing
1: drop really well i mean they got to the they got to the conference finals dude yeah they they hit him okay I mean yeah they that's what they had to do. they had to hide him this year. he's playing a lot of drop again, he's letting in fifty points over forty possessions he's he needs to be hidden, but again, like you said, he can really help on second units. He showed it against Denver the other day when he came on, got some big offensive boards and got a few points on the on the offensive putbacks. He's actually tenth in the league for putbacks as well, which is a nice little. Step. Oh wow!
0: Yeah, that, that's what he needs to be doing, you know. And if you're in a tight situation, there's seven seconds left, you can dump the ball down to him and let him try to create a little bit on his own. Uh, it's definitely not like a uh, something that you would draw up and a play that you the, is your ideal offense, but he could bail you out at times. He has a he has a somewhat promising offensive game, but like your defense is limited. You do have to do that drop. Like you can't you can't show or or blitz. Same thing. Always kinds of shows out there, right. right? New York He's never recovering He's never New recovering. New York running in show coverage multiple
1: multiple times, and he ended up on loads of low lights.
0: Yeah, I never want to do anything that the Knicks
1: are doing. I, yeah, if, I, exactly, dude. But <laughs> it's true. If you go back and watch the lowlights of Cantor on defense in New York, I'd say 85 out of 100 of those clips are going to be Cantor playing show defense and just getting blown by, dude. Um, right. And the thing is you can, you can be a step slower than the guard when you're showing as long as your hands are stupid active at the time, you know, and you've got high IQ. Uh he didn't show any of that you have no choice but to drop cover when
0: you've got canter in the pick and roll right and he's out there for his offense i mean what do you, what do you think about my whole idea on you know just running with second units against second units
1: it depends who the big is on the second units but majorityly, i'm going to agree i mean you saw what he did to um plumley i feel like he uh, right. i feel like he ate plumley alive
0: yeah, and even in this most recent game against Sacramento, I, I thought he did a, a good job there as well, really battling with Rashawn Holmes and Dwayne Dedman. And his face looking Giles, crisp as well. got some run. Yeah, it's something. By the way, this whole three-point shot that was talked of, he's taken one this year. Oh, no, and it I missed. did not happen. Yeah. By fade, I meant his haircut. I went on about his fade Oh, got shot. it, got it. I was like, did I miss a fade fadeaway? I'm kind of glad I didn't no, see no, it. No, 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 his fade's looking pretty good. <laughs> I to get hooked up with his barber, dude. Got it, got it. So do you think that there's a time, though, that you could, like, in the game, I don't remember if it was the Sacramento game, there was a game where Cantor was out there, and the opposing team tried backing him down. And it's like, that's the one thing that Cantor's good at on defense, is just pure one-on-one post-defense against a player that doesn't have, like, insane footwork down low or anything. But, like, that's the one thing Cantor's good at on defense, right?
1: Yeah, um, I don't think he should be backing Dan Cantor, especially with the type of rotations, the Celtics run as well, because even if you do beat him on the post, someone's just going to rotate over, draw the charge, or try and get a stop. I feel like Cantor's actually very, very good to have against guys like that. The only guys I don't want him playing against like that is someone like Drummond that's literally just going to drop his shoulder and move him.
0: Right, yeah, Cantor's a strong guy, um, but... Drummond's stronger. Probably, yeah. Yeah, And that's that's, when it's fair.
1: It's one of those when you're in the post. uh, I don't know how old the listeners are. I grew up in the era of low post bigs. Probably my favorite era in basketball. I love watching people just get budded down low. It was just a battle of strength at times, you know? If if somebody, if a guy like Shaq or even somebody like Patrick Ewing had, had had you posted up. They were moving you where they wanted to move you if you didn't have the strength to hold them off. And yeah. then they were just getting easy dunks. Canter, so does that mean you love, you love Ennis Cantor? Is that what I'm hearing? That's not what I said at all, <laughs> <laughs> But no, I like, I like the low post game. I like the way, I like the way people used to play into the post and then feed it out to the cutter. I liked it when they used to play trailers. So you, you know, you'd run the pick and roll, have your big men. Start high and then come in following the ball handler, ready for the dump pass. That's my style of basketball. It's still style I play on two K. Sometimes I get my my butt kicked because of it, <laughs> but uh, that that's just the basketball I grew up on. So when I see people trying to post up, you've got to understand that if your footwork isn't there, it becomes about strength. It becomes about how you can punt, how you can faint with your shoulders to get your man off balance so that you can, you know, if you can faint. And then drive a bit more. Your man's had to react to the faint, and then you can move him. It, it's an artwork in itself. That's cancer's good at that. I'm not going to take that away from him. He's also got quite good hands in that position as well. He seems to be able to poke the ball away.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I'm. He, you're right. He has good hands. He definitely is able to catch the ball well, and and obviously a great touch around the rim. Um, but yeah, I'm happy to have him as a like. Daniel Tice is option one, and then you kind of have 2A and 2B with Robert Williams and Cantor, who both are probably subpar second options, but I'm somewhat okay with it. Like, there's a big fall off. I guess Tice is one, and then you kind of have like 3A and 3B. I think you really skip a tier after you go from Tice.
1: I'm going to give an honorable honorable mention to Mr. Vincent Poirier, the
0: the dirty job. I want to see him. What is going on here?
1: Do you know, dude? I mean, I felt like coming into the year, we had a legit room runner. That's what he was in Basconia when
0: he was out in the Euro League. I was like, really- man, this guy is so fundamental. In preseason, I was like, man, he moves his feet well and like,
1: there I mean, has to be something Euro behind league. the scene.
0: Right. right. But there has to be something like We're in practice. Brad heading into seen, the season, you
1: know? the, Brad did say that um, Poirier was probably the furthest behind in what they're trying to do and what he's looking for from the players, he's still learning. He's learning how he want, how Brad wants him to play. He's learning the defensive coverages, and the Euro game's considerably different to the NBA. I'd be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised, sorry, if we don't see him until after Christmas.
0: Yeah, and like you know, a game with no ties, like against the Sacramento Kings, would have been a good time to see a little bit of Poirier, but. Now, they gave all the minutes to Cantor and Robert Williams, which. Um, I'm
1: fine with that. Developmental minutes for Williams should be one of the priorities when Tice isn't available.
0: Right. It's fine. Uh, and by the way, Cantor being there yesterday would have helped with a lot of the defensive problems and people not playing high up enough on that drop coverage, especially against, like, Buddy Hill Bogdanovich. But, um, yeah. And also, you know, another honorable mention, of course, to Grant Williams. The only reason we didn't put him in here, even though he's been getting some minutes at the five, is because. We plan on having another episode covering um, some of the wing guys that are a little bit more borderline in a way, like Grant, um, Javante Green, and Shemi Ojale. So that'll be a separate episode, and we'll touch on Grant maybe playing a little bit of center sometimes there as well. Um, And one last question for you that probably is, yeah, we'll see. Do you feel like you could ever play or you ever should play any of these guys at the same time? What, you mean like me on a basketball court? What do you mean? <laughs> no, I think <didn't. laughs> Could you ever play any of these three guys? Could you ever play two of them together? I feel like you can
1: slide ties to the four. I don't think it should be for prolonged minutes, but he, he's capable at the four. He spent time at the four before.
0: Right, I so be- like Brooklyn, one of the weirder developments I've kind of noticed is they play Nicholas Claxton, uh, who's their rookie center, and DeAndre Jordan together in the second unit. I mean we sp I
1: spoke to you about this before we went into the Sacramento game and said uh there's always the possibility of sliding ties to the floor. Four, not floor. Don't slide him to the floor, slide him to the four. And and else to say when you say it either way. <laughs> it's the accent. Well you gotta go there. And then have um have a guy like Rob Williams at the five. It ha- I mean you you're not gonna you're not gonna be very um Oh, you're still laughing at the four, yeah. To the fourth floor, <laughs> to the fourth floor, and <laughs> like crumpets, sir. Um, <laughs> yeah. you're not going to be the most effective team down low, you're probably going to be quite slow in pace as well. But they could work, I mean, like I say, Ty spent time at the four last year, the four as in the number, um, last year, so it is a possibility, it's just an ill advised
0: one, I'd assume. Agreed. Agreed. I, I definitely don't want to see it, you know, unless maybe there's some weird situation, like I mentioned with, say, Claxton and DeAndre Jordan. Um, but even then, you could take advantage of them on offense if you had someone that's actually spacing. Um, so I don't want to see it, but I was just curious if you thought it, it would be a possibility. You know, Brad like some funky lineup sometimes. But um, yeah, I, I'm definitely on board with you there. Um, that's pretty much all I got for these centers, though, man. Yeah, it's a, sorry, I'll tell you what I was
1: doing. I was looking at how much time Tyson spent at the power forward position during his NBA career. He spent, his first year, he spent 36% of his minutes playing power forward. 36? Yeah, he he
0: was, yeah. 36. Is that next to Horford, probably? Yeah, it would have been next to Horford. Okay, that's interesting because, like, it probably counted Tyson's power forward, even though Horford probably was. And then last year he spent five percent of his time. This year he hasn't. He's spent.
1: He's been exclusively at the five, right? And which
0: is really probably how it should remain. You know.
1: Yeah, I don't like. I'm not advocating for moving him out of that position. I'm just saying that he's spent time at the power forward position. Seems apparently you can't differentiate when I say four and floor. Um, (laughs) I'm just going to call them by positions moving forward. Um. So he spent time at the powerful being forward. forward or floorboard. So we're gonna end the episode. Now. <laughs> <laughs> I want to give a shout out to Marcus Smart for that nice move at the end of the game.
0: Yeah, Marcus Smart being the closer offensively was a very unexpected turn, and honestly, the Celtics got of I mean, lucky, he backed right? him
1: down, got the spin. It looked like the guy tried to flop, and then he finished with a nice layoff. It was nice, man. Props to Marcus Smart.
0: Yeah, and he had a dark fade the shot before. I was like, what is going on? This is the Marcus revenge game for not getting that roll in Sacramento. Yeah, he's got that glass in his hand and ice in his veins, dude. Oh, God, <laughs> that's a great line. <laughs> that's a great line.
1: That's the name of the um the episode right. from now glass in his hand and ice in his veins.
0: There you go, and he had uh and he had a huge steal at the end of the game too that Buddy Heald ended up getting a chase down block on, but he just you know what a Mister Winning plays? What's new? And we'll be
1: back again on Friday. Um, we'll be recording on Thanksgiving, which makes no difference to me, but apparently that's a big thing for all you guys. So uh, you are, Brendan's gonna be super super stressed because I'm assuming he'll be hiding out in a closet somewhere
0: yeah I'm just gonna come on and say how much I what is what is the shoot what is the line for Marcus Smart I love him and I trust him yeah right I'm just gonna keep on talking about how I love trust and am thankful for Marcus Smart that's what we should do we should do it, uh, what we're thankful for our episode sounds good we'll brainstorm yeah
1: Um, Guys, we'll be back. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I wrote a little article today on Celtics blog about this podcast. I've I've, uh, hyperlinked mine and Brendan's Twitter handles in there. We're going to be doing some mailbags. It's all in the article. Go check it out. Leave some comments. I'm quite active there too. And we'll be back for you on Friday.
0: Say bye, Brendan. Later. Later. You got to press the three dots on more and then stop.